chapter, I begin now talking about the names and titles of Jesus. But as usual, are there questions or comments about last week's lesson? Um, again, if you have a special you know, name or title Jesus that's just been, why is Jesus called this or where this found even? You know, I heard this said about this because sometimes it's like a, a passage in the Old Testament. You know, so, so where, this, where is this from? And how, how is this all set up? You can always ask that. Uh, please let me know and I'll, I'll do some additional research and, and we'll go for it. Any questions or comments so far? Okay. Um, today is the second Sunday in Advent. It's a, it's, it's a Sunday I point to a lot uh, why we have our liturgical year. Um, you know, my, my simple analogy is birthdays. You can have a loving family without a birthday, correct? You can have a loving family without any recognition of an individual throughout the year, correct? However, it might be good to recognize, but you could do that equidist, equi, you know, equi, whatever, equicalendar, whatever, equitemporal or whatever, I don't know the word. Okay, so you could have, you know, mom, dad, each of the kids, mom first, dad second, each of the kids, you know, space it out evenly throughout the year. What we do instead, though, is we actually tie the observance of a special person in the family with the special date, the day of their birth, right? And then on that day, we actually then have a liturgy. It's come some, some for a cake with candles, and we all are able to sing a common song, correct? Happy birthday. And you don't have to make up a new happy birthday song every year, because that'd be rather difficult, right? Because no one would know the tune, right? Okay, so, so in the church, we tie the life of Christ to, to, to dates. For example, December 25th, the incarnation of our Lord. January 6th, the epiphany of our Lord. Um, we moved on throughout, throughout the year with transfiguration and, and throughout the year, right? And then we have days in anticipation of those, such as the season of Advent, correct? And what we do, for example, Christmas Eve, we just mentioned it. We have a date, and it's tied, actually, the date of Christmas is tied to the early church's understanding of when he died, would be tied with the Annunciation, add nine months, that's where you get December 25th from. So March 25th is the actual starting date for thinking about Christmas. So now on Christmas, you have day associated with a special person, Jesus, special occasion, his, his birth, right? Then you have special lessons, and then we sing special, special songs, right? You know, and all work together. And, 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 and well, first of all, you probably wouldn't ever come back to Bethany. If you came out of Christmas Eve service and there was no silent night, oh, come all your faith, with joy to the world, what child is this? You know, hark the arrow, none of that, you know, the, 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 the big Christmas canon of hymns. It was saying none of them, not necessarily all of them, none of them. What would you say to me? Yeah, 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 shame, shame. You know, what, what's going on? What's going on? So, so it, and well, you might not say anything, you're just out of here, and I won't be at Bethany next Christmas. Why would I be at Bethany? I want to sing Silent Night. I want to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, correct? Okay, so, so but there's so much of Jesus that, that we even divided up further. And so we have the second Sunday of, in Advent, John the Baptist, because we got to have John the Baptist to have Christmas, right? Prepare the way of the Lord. And then we have a hymn on Jordan's banks, the Baptist cry. So this, this Sunday becomes a paradigm for me of the, of the joy of the church here. So it's not only major dates, but even fill it in. You know, um, you know Ash Wednesday, um, you know, um, and there's so, you could just go on and on and on about, you know, um, the transfiguration 
uh, the enunciation of our Lord. So we can just fill it in more and more. And it's very valuable, especially in this 365-24-7 world. I'm finding myself not wanting to pay attention to, to various websites now because it's Advent. I'd much rather, you know, maybe in my car, um, sit and listen to uh, sometimes Christmas carols. But if I can get the Advent songs, when I get home, I, I'm playing, uh, uh, for example, you know, Advent's leader, you know, because uh, Germany has this great Advent heritage, you know, just play these Advent tunes and then Christmas tunes, you know, it's just wonderful. So, so this Sunday helps to be a paradigm um, for, for the church here for me, okay? And it's very helpful, the church here for, for you and me. Okay, having said all that, let's get into our, our, our study. Redeemer, we say this word redeemer a whole lot. But, but what does it mean? When you actually investigate it, it's a little bit deeper. Um, the basic sense of Redeemer is to restore, to set right again, specifically by paying a price. Okay, it's to set right again, but, but especially by paying a price. Now, there's actually two Greek words that are used if you look up to redeem. And by the way, in the New Testament, the word Redeemer never occurs. It occurs in the Old Testament. For example, the famously, Job 19 Imagine this, I know that my Redeemer lives. You know? so, so here Job expressing confidence in the resurrection of Christ way back in the Old Testament. Not only that, but in his own resurrection, my flesh I shall see God. And what a tremendous testimony there in Job 19. But, but the word Redeemer is two Greek words you know, to redeem in the, in the New Testament. And they have slightly different nuances. One is to buy out of slavery, okay, um, and the others to, to ransom. So the, the first, to, to buy out of slavery, Revelations chapter 14. They were singing a new song before the throne, before the living creatures, and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the land wherever he goes. They have, these have been redeemed from mankind as fruits for, first fruits for God and for the Lamb. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And then finally, this wonderful passage, Galatians chapter 4, an utterly marvelous passage. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's a, the other sense, the ransom, and again, um, I wouldn't put these as opposed to each other, the kind of complementary and kind of overlap each other, but Luke 24, 21. Uh, this is the disciples on Emmaus before they realize that Jesus is walking with them, but we'd hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, now the third day since these things had happened, Titus 2, 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Okay, and, and so, um, and so in, in 1 Peter 1.18, it actually uses the word ransomed, okay, rather than redeemed. It's the same Greek word, though. That's why I included the passage. Okay, and then I, I did quote the, the Job 19 passage right, right here for you. Okay, so that's the sense of redeemer, to set right again, especially by paying a price, um, is to buy out of slavery or to, or to ransom, like, like somebody who has been kidnapped or is in prison, you, you ransom them. Any questions or comments about Redeemer? And you see, and that's why if you put it with Savior, there's a different nuance between Savior and Redeemer. Okay, now this is really interesting, the next one. Um, God. Um, 
Okay. And, and Schumacher didn't do his editing right right here. Now that, that whole first paragraph, um, leave out. Okay, just scratch that out. Okay, um, there's a very interesting book. Okay, maybe it's interesting because of who I am, maybe not to a lot of other people. But um, there's this uh, um, a guy named Murray's his name, but I can't remember whether that's his first or last name. But, but he, he wrote a book called Jesus is God. Typically, in the New Testament, Jesus is not called God. The Father's called God, right? And typically in the New Testament, the Father's not called Lord, he's called God, and Jesus is called Lord. Helps to differentiate the tri Trinity. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so for example, Paul, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Very typical in Paul's greetings, not necessarily in all Paul's epistles, but but this differentiation between God and Lord is not to say that Jesus is not God or to say that the Father is not Lord, but it helps us differentiate the persons of the Trinity, especially when you know there's this kind of this language of the New Testament. So when Jesus actually is called God, that's a good thing. The reason is, is that, that Murray kind of looks, he kind of hedges on a couple of these, and I don't. Okay, and I, I think these, these are all references that Jesus is God. So, and so did the author um, that I was quoting from right Right here, if I went on the paragraph, he, he, he agrees. Now, I agree with him, put it this way, he's a better scholar than I am, okay? So that these passages now talk about Jesus as God. And, and this is not to say, and, and has anyone here ever had a, any length of conversation with Jehovah's Witness? Okay, yeah, okay, got some, some people, you know, and they throw this out, you know, that the, and the word was a God, right? You know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God because it's not a definite article. However, if you know any New Testament Greek, i.e. went two weeks of school, you know that, that, that if it's a predicate nominative, you do not put the definite article because that indicates it's in the predicate, right? If you put the article, then you have a... Uh, and, and sometimes you will see this because the, the, the two halves are are interchangeable, but if you want to make sure that this is in the predicate, you do not put an article with that. And so it's, it's just simple Greek. And I remember going with JW over and over again, you know, I mean, I uh, spent a summer debating some Mormon missionaries. They wanted to get me as the feather in their cap because I was going to be a Lutheran pastor and I wanted to, to convert some Mormons, you know, so, <laughs> so and didn't work out either way. But it was just, just uh, it's interesting to hear other people's arguments, though. But I remember one Sunday after church, they got, I don't know how they got my phone number from, you know, JW got my phone number. I come home after church. I didn't have a Greek Bible with me and anything. And they, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I just, you know, but I remember this one. I said, never mind. But, but this, so, but this is a passage often used by them. For us, though, it indicates the word is God, right? And it clearly is saying that the word creates the heavens and the earth, going back to Genesis chapter 1. So this is when God... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that this is the second person of the Trinity who creates the heavens and the earth. This is not to exclude the Father and the Spirit, by the way, because by the end of the chapter, we have what? Let us make man in our image. Then the verb goes to uh, on third person, masculine, singular, because the Trinity all works together, but that's another, another argument. So John 1, but then John 1.18, the end of the prologue, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So in other words, the Word made flesh has made the Father known, and he is God. 
And this, again, we've talked about this earlier. Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. What a radical statement for a Jewish man to say. But he's recognizing that Jesus is God. Elohim right here in John 20. Acts 20, 28. Look at this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How can God have blood? It's called the cross, right? We know who's dying on the cross for us. It's our God. Okay, and so this is a, um, and we see this in, in, in our Lenten hymnody, especially a Good Friday hymnody. Um, um, o darkest wool. O darkest wool will reflect the same theology, right? You know, and, and if you look at, there is a manuscript history to this where some people just couldn't buy into this and so they try to change the word. But, but, we, but our, our, our best Greek manuscripts keep the word God in here because we know that this is entirely possible because God does have blood. It's called the incarnation of our Lord. Okay, Romans 9, 5, to them belong the patriarchs and from the race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. And then Titus uh, Two, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, and, and I don't want to go too much into it, but if you look carefully at the Greek right there, this is not, you know, some, sometimes in English, the word and can be a, a, a disjunction, right? Like two different categories? It's not that way in this passage. It's God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God and Savior are the same person. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, Hebrews 1, 1, 1, 8 of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, the scepter of uprightness, scepter of your kingdom, which means now that it's, it's applying deity to the second person of the Trinity, even in the Old Testament. Then, um, um, for 2 Peter 1, verse 2, and we'll just go to verse 2 right here. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our, our, our Lord. Okay. Um, and, oh, no, first line, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Same Greek expression as you saw in, in, uh, in, in Titus chapter 2, but this time with Peter saying it, not, not, not Paul. 1 John 5. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Period. Okay. And so all these, and, and none of you have a problem with this. I understand that. I understand that. All of you confess that Jesus is God, right? Because we believe in the Trinity. However, the reason I bring this up to you is, is again, you know, having knowledge of the JWs, but also, you know, this is, but, but also to make the point that typically in the New Testament, it's very helpful when you read the New Testament to know that, that typically in the New Testament, God refers to the Father and Lord refers to Christ. So you, you have a differentiation of the persons of the Trinity. Um, and, and so and it's very helpful once you, once you kind of understand that, that kind of way of speaking. And so that's why when you understand that, then when you see these passages where Jesus is called God, they kind of stick out for you. Does that make sense? And so I just bring this up to you. Any questions, comments? Okay. Okay, I don't want to go through these things too quickly. And by the way, if my speech cadence is too quick, please tell me. Okay. I know I, I get, when I get excited, I like to talk very quickly. So... And you know that about me, so please tell me. Slow down. Long Zama, Pastor. Long Zama. Okay. Now we have, for example, in, in John, 
in John, we just saw this. You know, the prologue of John, where, where we see um, word. In the beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was God. You know, so this is very unique right, right here, and we just want to kind of explore this a little bit. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Okay? All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's interesting is, is, um, is there in 1 and 2, you see God applied to, to the word, right? And the word was God. But then you see he was in the beginning with God, referring to the Father. So we kind of see this interplay of the, of the use of the word God now, reverting to, to God the Father. But then later on in John 1.18, it's applied to Christ also, the word made flesh. Okay, so going back, so this usage of, of word, it, it really goes back to the Old Testament, not Greek philosophy. Okay, and, that, and again, most of you probably never came across this, which is good. It's good, you know. I, as a pastor, have to come across a lot of bad things where people attack the church. Does that make sense? And, and, and certainly that's been happening. Heaven's left and right, you know, where people just doubt all sorts of things, right? Um, but, but God is so good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. John in his gospel is intentionally, and if you go and study, and this really, if you go into a deeper study of John 1 and 2, is, is reprising creation. So his language at the very beginning of the gospel of John takes you back to Genesis. And so the use of the word takes you back to Genesis where God said, let there be light. So there's the word. Okay, and so, and of course you see the spirit right there. And so God being the, the Father, so you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there at the very creation. Okay, and then what John 1, going into chapter 2, will do is you have a series of days. The differentiate days, if you add them all together, you get seven days of a new creation. And that occurs then at the wedding of Cana. Because Jesus is bringing about a new creation because you don't need that water for Jewish purification anymore. You got me. And then after that, he cleanses the temple. You don't need these sacrifices anymore. You got me. Does that make sense, right? Right here, so John 1, going into chapter 2, is this new creation, but you look right here at Genesis 1, it's being reprised there in John chapter 1. In, John, in Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Okay? He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe for, for he spoke... It came to be, commanded, and stood firm. Okay, so, so again, hearkening to the Genesis chapter 1, and then looking ahead, really, to, to John chapter 1. And then in Revelation, the last book that we have in the Bible, then I saw heavens open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And obviously, John, who's the author of Revelation, is also the author of the Gospel of John. John's Gospel being written first, his epistles. Um, now, I, I don't know 
for a fact which is written first, his epistles or the gospel. Okay, that's a, and does it, does it really matter? I, I don't think that matters, but I do know that Revelation is, is the last thing that John writes. That's all the same John. Yeah, all the same John. Yeah, that's a real good question. It's the same John. Okay, I speak like it is the same John. Right, there are some people who, who don't know that it is, but I, I think it is. And it's just you look at that church history. And this is really good um, that it's the same John. And by the way, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, we have, and this is more on the apologetic side, and if you listen, our, our brother uh, Adam Francisco runs a, an apologetics a podcast called Faith and Reason. He talks about this. He talks about the reliability of the New Testament. You know, um, for example, people, how do you know, you know, all this is reliable? You know, let's play the game of telephone. Let's start right here and right here and end up with a garbled message. That misses the point entirely. You know, if you apply that same principle, um, uh, can you believe a word of Plato? Can you believe a word of, of Herodotus, this great Greek, or, or of, um, of Lucian or, or these other historians from the ancient world? Their manuscripts are hundreds of years past when they were supposed to be alive, right? We have, for example, a small sample of the Gospel of John that might be, again, you know, that no one dated it on, on the on thing, but we think from orthography. It could be, say, 30 years after John is written. In other words, not this idea that, that the church makes Jesus into the Christ. It's just such garbage. And I'd use, it, it's, it's actually just total garbage, just nonsense, okay? So the Gospel of John is well attested, and that's the oldest Greek manuscript we have. Okay, it's, it's, this, uh, it's, a, small little, it's just a small little piece, but it really helps to understand that, that, that they were faithful in bringing it about. And by the way, speaking about faithfulness, you know, um, we, we know, for example, um, for, for a long time, our oldest copies of the Old Testament were from like 800 A.D., 700-800 A.D., the Masoretic text. You know, you got this, uh, uh, these two, two monumental Old Testament texts that and you're working off of. But then we find something called the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Dead Sea Scrolls date from anywhere from 100 B.C. to 100 A.D. And we find this marvelous thing, the whole book of Isaiah called the Isaiah Scroll, right? And we compare it to this one that's from 800 A.D. And guess what? They were faithful copying the words because they believe it's the word of God. We say the same thing in the New Testament. You know, it's just a marvelous testimony, the faithfulness of God's people. I'm going to bring carefully the Word of God to somebody when I copy it down. Not, and, and, it's just, and it's just garbage, you know, that, to say that this is a game of telephone. We can't trust the New Testament. Okay, so, okay, I'm just moving on. Um, I had to say that about the Gospel of John, you know, and, and I also put a plug in if you, if you want to listen to this podcast, uh, um, you know, that, that our, our, our brother does. Um, I'm not shilling for him, you know, he's not paying me or anything like this, but, but it's just, I, I just find it's, it's interesting to hear these, these arguments, because you, you hear them once in a while, you know, but, but let's be honest, most people don't even know these arguments, because most people don't care, right? You, you live in the day and age, the motto for 2023 is whatever. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the truth? Whatever. You know, I mean, it, it's just, it's, there, there are no consequences, it, it's just whatever. I mean, and then we move on, whatever. And there's nothing of value, no meaning, and, and we have no clue. Okay, so now there's this other term, this term Adam, where Jesus is called the second or the last Adam. Uh, and then there's several passages. Obviously, it takes, it's taken up primarily, as you'll see, in two main areas. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 and, and Romans chapter 5, both by Paul. For as by man came death, and by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 21. Later on in the chapter, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is shown, sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised in spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. For thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was made from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also must bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay, so this is competing. Now, in this passage, though, this is not, a, was this the man of heaven right here, is not to deny the creation, the creator, or the physicality of, of the incarnation. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is not, this is a Greek idea that pits, you know, um, spiritual versus earthly. Okay, this is, because as, as we say, that Christ's incarnation is, is basically to, to show that God cares for his creation, so that God does care. So, so but it's, it's to pit you know, Adam and his frailty and his sinfulness versus the Christ who comes as the, as the last Adam to undo all that the first Adam did. And this is also more specifically taken up in Romans chapter 5. And by the way, um, 1 Corinthians and Romans are written roughly the same time, okay? So, so, this, so Paul's, I, I don't want to say that Paul, um, you know, has different theologies, but you see kind of a progression as you read through his epistles, kind of a chronological order. Does that make sense? You know, so for example, you see a simple reference to faith and helmet in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Later on in his prison epistle, Ephesians chapter 6, he unfolds more fully the full armor of God. Does that make sense? And so, so this, again, I don't want to pit I, in any Paul's writings uh, against each other, but it's just kind of interesting when you see him take up certain thoughts and then repeat it in a later epistle. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin is increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also must reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, so there you have the contrast. One man, Adam, brought everything wrong. The one man, Jesus Christ, brings everything right. 
Okay, and you notice the section, though, it ends up, though, Jesus Christ, our Lord, right here, you know, confessing. So, the, so by the repetition of one man right here, it's not, you know, focusing just on humanity, but rather our Lord. We always have to remember it's only one Jesus, true God, true man, doing all this for us and for our salvation. Okay, yes, Rich. Man of heaven, yeah, 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 yeah. So I've never noticed that too. I don't think it was on my list, the 101 list. So it's a, and so it's a, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a, needless to say, um, we could go on a while in this class, right? If you look at the depth of all those passages, and in fact, I'm beg, borrowing, and stealing from, from uh, um, Don Lorenzo's uh, son in law, a classmate of mine, Scott Bruzek, who who taught using the, the names of Jesus, basically Christology at the seminary as a, as a guest professor, and I'm looking at his notes, and, and as well as other resources. I've, I've got two books on the names of Jesus that I'm plowing through right now. Um, it's just fascinating. It just, just, it just lifts you up to, to read all this stuff. Um, by the way, commercial, look at that 101 list, and look, you know, because you run out of time, because you know, if you don't give me some names to look up, I'm not going to look them up. You know, I, I, I can find enough stuff to interest myself to bring to you, okay? Okay, so let's continue on. Um, firstborn of the dead and the firstborn of all creation. Okay, um, you look through this, and we, we don't understand this. Okay, uh, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you in peace from him who was and who, him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I'll make him the firstborn of the highest of the kings of the earth. Okay, um, the first to rise from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'm going to quit right, right, right there, just kind of talk a little bit about this. And, and, and it's something to, to, it's hard for us to understand, okay? He's the firstborn of the dead, okay? The firstborn of all creation. He's also the first fruits of those that are asleep. And, and this means, you know, he's the, the the pioneer, um, so the, he's the guarantee of our resurrection, okay? Um, one thing to understand about this, okay, so, so the firstborn right here is the, is the preeminent one, but also becomes the one who, who inherits, but also in this sense, he's the firstborn guaranteeing that it's been done before. Does that make sense? Okay, we don't want to face death not knowing if it's possible to have a resurrection of the dead. Is that correct? You, and, and so this is very, very important. So, so just think about it. You know, the widow of Zarephath's son, can you interview him now? No. Lazarus. Uh, the widow of Nain's son. In other words, all these people who were raised from the dead in the Old and New Testament, they, they, they died again, right? Earthly death. Jesus, however, can you talk to Jesus right now? Yes, yes, most of And is he Jesus present with us right now? Yes, yes, most Assuredly, the resurrected Jesus is with you right now. And this is your guarantee of your resurrection. And it's such a comfort. So the Bible points that, and this is really the joy of Easter, this is your guarantee of your resurrection. And, and you've, already, you've heard my United Airlines speech, right? You've not heard my United Airlines speech. Okay, good news. Representative of United Airlines comes to Bethany today and says, Everyone in Bible class and all your families and loved ones have a free, all-expense trip paid to Hawaii. 
and we'll work out you get your salary, won't be counted towards your vacation time at all. You're all going to go to Hawaii. And everything's paid for it. All your spending money and the menu is all yours. And so we're all going to Hawaii together. You get to O'Hare. And United says, we got really good news for you. We've got a brand newly designed plane for you. And we love the design. It looks really, really good. And the engine is 20% more powerful, so it gets you there quicker. And we have a specially designed airline fuel that is a little bit higher octane than the previous. And, and it's going to work fine. We, we just know it. And our pilot has made a hundred in every simulation he's ever done. Uh, no, I'm not stepping on that plane. I love to, to, to I, I love the fact that when I get on the air, air I, when I get on that airplane, that pilot has how many hours in the air? And he's not allowed to be the chief pilot unless he has flown how many flights, right? And, and, and you just know that plane has been tested over and over and over again. You know, the, the safety of, of United States commercial air travel, it's, it's just out, outstanding. It's just the, 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 the figures just boggle the mind how safe it is to fly. Because we've, it's been repeated over and over again, and, and, and there's no innovation going on, right? And I don't want to, you know, I, I like this. And so if I face death, there, there's somebody who's already faced death for me, right? And he's risen from the dead. And by the way, he's the son of God. And he guarantees my resurrection. He guarantees my eternal life. So it's guaranteed. And the one who guarantees it is not going to default, right? You know, I mean, there's been a lot said recently about... Uh, um, you know, the, the downgrading of the security of the United States bonds, right? I mean, is a, am I right, Dominic? It got downgraded, didn't it? The, the, the credit rating of the... What? Yeah, yeah. So, so in, other words, in other words, is it possible that U.S. Treasury bonds at some point in time in history could default? Is that possible? Of course it is. Is it possible that the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting will ever be defaulted on? No, no. And so this is our good news. He's the firstborn of the dead. And by the way, he's also the first, first fruits. And again, the concept of first fruits is very, it's, we have no concept of first fruits. First fruits. Because um, first fruits back in ancient Israel would mean that, that, that the first fruit of that tree you're given to the Lord. The first of that flock you're given to the Lord because you're trusting for more. You can't go to Jewel and get more, Right? You know, if there's not more fruits, you're not going to have any. You're going to starve. And, and we live in this day and age where, where, where you're just assuming you can go and buy fresh fruits and vegetables. How many of you remember where there would be times of the year where you could not at any price buy certain foods? And so you just, you just couldn't, couldn't do it. So hence, in, you know, when I was a youth, walking out of the Sunday School Christmas program in St. John's Lutheran in, in, in Rosemount, Minnesota, they hand you a bag, you got the little chocolate kisses, no, or chocolate drops, not chocolate drops, hard candy, and one orange. And one orange. Why an orange? Because that's the only time you would ever have an orange. Because there's not oranges in the, in the stores in the middle of July. You know, we don't import, and may, maybe back then, maybe, maybe um, but there was a point in time where you didn't get oranges, you didn't get any fruits, and so, there wasn't anything unless the Lord provided on that tree as fresh, right? Of course, you had canned stuff and stuff like this, but fresh fruits and vegetables was seasonal. Seasonal. And so in Israel, there's no seasonal. There's, there's just, if there's, not a, if there's not further olives, you aren't going to have any olives. So the first fruits of the olive tree, the first fruits of your flock, you're trusting the Lord is going to give you more. And so when Jesus is the first fruits of those that sleep, there's going to be more. It's called you and me. When we sleep, when we rise on the last day, there's going to be more. It's going to be you and me. So he's the first fruits. 
It's also the guarantee that there's going to be more fruits, you and me, forever and ever. Okay. I just had to um, speak a little bit about this, this, this expression, firstborn of the dead, and, and first fruits of those that sleep. Questions, comments? And by the way, I'm, I'm very happy that in the middle of July, if I want an orange, I can buy it, right? You know, likewise, if I want a watermelon right now, I can go buy it, right? You know, I, I, don't, I don't mind this. You know, sometimes you, you and you do notice the prices, don't you? You do notice the prices of certain fruits and vegetables, depending on the time of year, they're much more expensive, right? You know, okay, so let's continue on. Okay, chief shepherd and good shepherd. Okay, um, now when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do as well, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about you and me. Think about Jesus. Thank you. Think about me. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So it will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves, because I lay down my life, and that I may take it up again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay, so, and, and there's other passages. So Jesus is the good shepherd. And so, of course, we know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, again, applying properly, thinking Christology, the Lord... Grace you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord is my shepherd. And of course, shepherd is a very comforting thing and shepherds are very necessary. Sheep in their fields without a shepherd are in great danger, right? You know, and the shepherd's staff is also used to beat animals, right? You know, but also to keep the sheep in line. You know, and, and somebody, um, I, I spent a summer around sheep. Um, I can tell you what the intelligence level of sheep are. It just boggles my mind how dumb sheep are. You know, but, but what does that mean for you and me? Apart from God's word, do we survive? I mean, do we know anything about God apart from his word? No, and so, so to call Jesus our good shepherd also recognizes what we are apart from him. We are like sheep that go astray, right? And also, they're easy prey for the wolves of this world. And so, this, this illustration of sheep is a humbling thing because it recognizes what we are as sheep, but also recognizes all the more what he is as our shepherd. And of course, in John 10, he is the good shepherd. He got all these passages right, right here about um, God shepherding his sheep. And by the way, sheep also are important to the shepherd, right? And so, we, hence, we have the story of, of what, you know, the shepherd when he has one missing, he leaves the 99 and goes and searches for the lost one. Now, now, obviously, we can talk about that in terms of evangelism, but also, let's think about that lost sheep in terms of our week-to-week -week life. We are that lost sheep, and this is why we're called to repentance on a daily basis, right? And especially on Sunday morning. How do we begin the divine service? With what? Confession and absolution. The sheep knowing they've gone astray, and will the Father hear me? Yes, and forgive me for the sake of Jesus. Okay, um, questions, comments so far? I'm not going to go on to another one. Yes, Ian. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah very, very good. That's, very, that's a very astute observation. It's just something that, that, you know, when you look at Psalm 23, it starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, but then it's, yea, though I walk through the valley, thou art with me, right? The old King James. Thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. So, so, so in the valley of the shadow of death, and, and that valley becomes much, much greater. I mean, you know, I mean, um, this past week, you know, we, we lost a, a longtime member, uh, um, Dave Dumford, you know, and, um, and Dave, actually, Dave and Sue actually live in my neighborhood. So, so I've gotten to know them very well over the years, and now he's no longer with us in, in presence. He is with us when we sing, therefore what? With angels and archangels, the whole company of heaven. So, so we, never, we never lose sight of, of, of the withness of the saints of God who are with the Lord right now. Okay, but we won't see him again. And then, then I get a, a, uh, um, Donna Rensler, one of our long-term shut-ins, died yesterday. I get a text from her son, you know, about a, almost a year to, to the day from when de- her husband died. And so we had two deaths of Bethany's saints in, in one day. And the value of shadow death means something. And, and those of you, I mean, you've experienced grandparents, certainly great-grandparents, and, and many of you, parents, mainly, some of you, spouses, siblings, and stuff like this, we know value of the shadow of death. Thou art with me. So we have a shepherd who shepherded us through the valley of shadow of death. And he, in fact, has gone through that valley himself for you and me because he died and he rose again for you and me. Okay. And again, second Sunday in Advent, we rejoice to sing on Jordan's banks the Baptist cry, but we also rejoice daily in Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. God bless you. We meet again next week. And then we do not meet on the 24th. Um, just go home, you know, because we want you back. In, I mean, we, we will have one service on the 24th, for Sunday evening, one service in the morning, 930, and then go home and then come back for one of the services that evening or on Christmas Day itself. 31st, special Bible class where we conclude this series, The Names and Titles of Jesus. Thank you. God bless you.